We're going to turn to page 12 in our tethered journal. And we're going to be talking about the Bible today. Okay? And I want to take us to a portion of scripture. And as we said last week, what we're going to do is we're going to work a little academic process for a little bit, the beginning of the message, just to kind of get our heads in the place, certain things that we understand about the Bible, and then we're going to, we're going to shift gears, and we'll head into the practical a- application of this in our life. Does that sound good with everybody? Yeah. Um, and if there's anything that you agree with today, shout me down, say amen, amen. and uh, amen. we're going to get after it today. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 17. This is Paul the Apostle writing to a young pastor named Timothy who was in it. He was in the middle of it. He was pastoring a church in a city that needed to hear the good news of Jesus. He was weary. He was tired. He was coming against cultural issues and things personally going on inside of him and stuff happening in leadership, stuff happening in the world around them. And so Paul encourages him and says this in verse 14. He says, but as for you, continue. Every shot, continue. Continue. How many of you know that that word continue means that there was something that he was doing previously? That Paul's saying, I want you to keep on doing. Continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you. And you know that from infancy, you've known the sacred scriptures which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture. All scripture. Come on, somebody. All scripture. Not just the New Testament. Not just the Old Testament. Not just the words of Jesus. Not just the poems found in Psalms. Not just Revelation. Not just Jeremiah. Not just the stuff I like and the stuff that I don't like. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man, the human man, all of us may be complete and equipped for every good work. So today, as we continue on in our series, Tethered, I want to speak to you from this subject today, the Bible, a better word. As we look at the truth of scripture and the importance it plays in our life and on the journey of faith, Father, we thank you for your word today. So one more time, God, I humbly submit myself to you, move me out of the way. May your word take its due position. May it be the crown of what we gaze upon today. So God, where there's confusion, I pray for clarity. I pray your word would speak today, a better word over our lives. And God, I thank you that things are going to shift. They're going to be altered in our lives today. That you are speaking still through your word. So we acknowledge you and your presence in this place today. We love you. We worship you. In Jesus' mighty name, come on in the church, shouted. Amen. Um, I know this is not everybody's stage of life, but Erica and I, we find ourselves now in our 40s, raising a 13-year-old, a 12-year-old, and a 5-year-old. 
We are now the official parents of teenagers. Lord help us. And it's an interesting moment because as parents, Erica and I have decided, uh, one, one of my tattoos actually in here is my family tree. And on the outside of it, it's Jeremiah, which says, for, as me, for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. Yep. And that was a dedication that we made at the beginning of having children, that our house is going to serve the Lord. So out of that, how many of you know that, that there is very intentional decisions you have to make? Yep. Okay. And one of those, one of those decisions that we are making is we are helping our children understand this. First and foremost, God's word is the best word for their life. Yeah, <laughs> a little less amens, but we'll keep on going. Um, we're trying to help our children know that God's word is the best word for their life. Amen. Secondarily, we're trying to help them understand and know that my words and Erica words are the next best word for their life. Yeah. Right? And no other word matters. Okay. Because how many of you agree with me right now? Words matter. How many of you agree with me that all of us are recipients of various different voices day in and day out? And so we've made some intentional decisions with our kids to limit the amount of voices that get into their head and their heart. One of the decisions that we made, and again, this is not to put, like, this is our decision, this is our conviction, but for, for us, we have made it that our kids have yet to engage with social media. They're not there yet. They don't have access to it. They don't have the ability to, to get, to get into it. We decided this. I read a few books where the CEOs and developers of these apps won't even let their own children onto them. So I decided if you're not going to do it, I'm definitely not going to do it. Okay. And that was what, why? Because we are limiting the competing voices for their minds and their hearts. Why? Because words matter. Our focus today is to look at the Bible, a better or the best word for our lives. Now I'm going to stop here for just a second so I can preach at you and let you know where my bias lies this morning. Because I have a bias today. And here's my bias. I believe everything that scripture tells me. I believe the beginning of it. And I believe... The end of it. I believe the flood parts and the whales eating people parts. I believe the angels part and the demons part. I believe the heaven part and the hell part. I believe the snake in the garden part and two people messing it up when God told them no part. I believe in the Babel part. I believe in the seas parting part. I believe in bread from heaven part. I believe in the quail running around part. I believe in the giant's beheaded part. Come on, I believe in the promised land part. I believe in the Jesus walked among us part. I believe in the word became flesh part. I believe that leprosy was healed part. I believe that eyes were opened part. I believe the buried part. I believe the resurrection part. I believe that the church was birthed part. And I believe that he is coming back part. Someone shout, I believe the Bible. Bible. So here's our doctrinal statement of faith concerning the Bible, which is agreed upon in creedal statements and historic orthodoxy, Christian orthodoxy for thousands of years. We believe the Holy Bible, consisting of both the Old Testament and New Testaments, and only the Bible, is the verbally inspired word of God. 
It alone is the final authority in determining all doctrinal truths in its original writing. It is God-breathed, infallible, and inerrant. When author said of the Bible, our view of Scripture, particularly how we view the Bible's truthfulness and authority over our lives, truthfulness and authority over our lives, profoundly affects our spiritual formation. I would submit to us today that how we view the Bible affects how we are formed by God. So quickly, let's just look at the beauty of the Bible for a second. If, if not anything else, I hope maybe some of you just fall a little bit more deeply in love with the Bible today. Or maybe some of you begin a relationship with it today. Theologian J.I. Packer would write, when you encounter a present-day view of, the, of Holy Scripture, you encounter them more than a view of Scripture. He would go on to say, we encounter the fullness of who God is and subsequently what God says about you and I. First thing we need to understand is that the Bible is a library of books. The Bible is comprised of 66 books authored by 44 authors from various backgrounds and histories under the guidance and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. These books were written over the course of about 1,500 years. There are 39 books contained in the Old Testament, and they were written between 1,400 and 400 B.C., while the 27 books of the New Testament were composed between A.D. 50 and A.D. 100. Now, if that's not big enough as it is, that all of these authors, different backgrounds, different places and spaces, different understandings, would come together and bring this one word together, inspired and equipped by the Holy Spirit, it gets even better. The Bible references itself internally numerous amounts of times. We will find that almost all of the books of the Old Testament, except Esther, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon, are quoted or referenced in the New Testament. Jesus would mention and make references from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Psalms, Proverbs, 1 Kings, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Amos, Jonah, Micah, Zechariah, and Malachi. In other words, Jesus knew his word. And this is a massive deal as we, as we examine the authenticity, reliability, authority, and continuity of Scripture. In a collaboration between Pastor Christoph Romhild and Chris Harrison, a digital design professional, in 2007, it led to the most striking visual display of the internal cross-references found within the Bible. As the team puts this picture up, totaling almost 65,000 references, this visual display shows us from Genesis to Revelation all of the interplay that takes place in Scripture. Not only is this a, liter like a literary masterpiece, but this once again reminds us that the Bible is supernatural in its origins. In other words, this book over here highlights this book over here, and this book over here highlights this book over here. And when you step back and look at the, uh, the massive scope of this word, one can go, wow, it is a literary masterpiece. But then right in the same moment, we must nod our heads sideways and go, it's supernatural in its making. It's the word of God. The Bible is a book of testaments. The word testament means covenant. The term Old Testament refers to the covenant that God entered into with Abraham and the people of Israel. And the New Testament to the covenant God has entered into with believers through Christ Jesus. <clears throat> and this is important. 
Because the Bible is not to be seen as disconnected from itself, but rather connected from beginning to end. You cannot have the New Testament without the Old Testament. I said you cannot have the New Testament without the Old Testament. You can't have the Gospels without the Old Testament. You can't have the letters without the Old Testament. Why am I saying this? Because a lot of us, as we are unfamiliar with it, or we don't like it, or we're bothered by it, or we're offended by it at times, we have a tendency to want to untether the Old Testament from the New Testament. Or maybe we say things like this, we just need the words of Jesus. Okay, let's go with that for a second. Jesus' spoken word consistently and with authority validates the relevance and truth of the Old Testament. John chapter 5, verses 45 through to 47. This is Jesus speaking. Listen to what he says. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. Your accuser is Moses on whom you have set your hope. So Jesus is saying, you believe in what Moses said. And then watch what he says. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me because he wrote about me. But if you don't believe what he wrote, how will you believe my words? Jesus is saying, if you can't believe what has been written about me, what is about me, how are you going to believe the words that I'm saying right now? And here's what's happening is that many of us are trying to elevate the words of Jesus and devalue the words that are found in the New Testament. But I need us to understand today that it all goes together because it is all about Jesus. John chapter 1, and the Word became flesh and He dwelt among us. R.C. Sproul writes this, through both the prophets of the Old Testament and the apostles of the New Testament, we have been given a written record of special revelation and it has come to us by the agents of Christ, His authorized agents of revelation. Let's talk about the Bible's canonicity for just a second. Canon is a word that comes from both Greek and Hebrew, and it means this, a measuring rod. And this is the standard that the books of the Bible had to meet in order to be recognized as Scripture. R.C. Sproul continues on and he writes this, The Bible is the norm or the standard of all standards, and it is judged by no other standard. The Bible is not judged by TikTok. The Bible is not judged by Aunt Jenny's thoughts or Uncle Bob's confusion. You, and I'm, I'm saying this so that you get, you've got to explore Scripture yourself. Don't just take my word for it. This is why we are working really hard to be scripturally heavy around here. We have to train our ears and our minds to be able to receive this word. We have to, we have to labor at becoming better and more attuned and equipped to hear God's word. Y'all, y'all with me today? So it's the measuring rod, canonicity, how, how we got these books, how they work together to form scripture. There was a standard and it's God's word that created this standard. Now, there is a lot more that we could discuss and could work through an entire series on the Bible for, for a year. And I would suggest that if this type of learning interests you, go on the journey of growing deeper in your understanding and personal education of the Bible. In the back of this book, if you have not got the journal yet, we have a ton of resources for you. All of our, a lot of our reading as a pastoral team as to where you can get information 
as well. We are starting our Faith Essentials classes coming up here soon. It's a midweek class. We're going to dive into all of this. Pastor Howie and the team is going to tell you everything you need to know about the Bible. Some of you got that joke. Some of you didn't, but talk to one of our pastors. We'd love to point you in the right direction. Explore these resources compiled for you. When it comes to the Bible, I think one of the most pressing issues that we must address is the issue of authority. Show of hands, how many of you love authority in your life? Yeah. Collectively, this weekend, I think there's 12 of us in this church that love authority. Um, All across our service today. Because the truth is, we are all rebels without a cause, aren't we? Right? All of us have that streak of rebel inside of us that wants to put on a flannel t-shirt and holy jeans and have smells like teen spirit playing in the background. Some of you would know that song and others of you wouldn't, right? Erica said this to me, we were on an airplane the other day and you know that part in the, as you're getting ready to take off, they're like, hey, could you please stow everything? Make sure your bags are underneath your seats, your tables are upright and put away all of your laptops and iPads and everything, stow them for takeoff. And so I put my table up, I clicked it over and then I put my laptop back on my lap and started working. And she leans over to me, she goes, goes, you're going to make them say it to you, aren't you? And I was like, (laughs) yes. Because there's, there's something inside of our humanity. Oh, can we be honest in church today? There's something inside of each and every single one of us that likes to push the envelope just a little bit. And so we have to deal with this. We have to look at why the Bible and its authority has space in our lives. Why it is authority in our life and why we reject it. So we've got to come to this place of understanding it's inerrancy and infallibility. According to John M. Frame, writer of Systematic Theology and Introduction to Christian Belief, Here's the first definition that we need to grab a hold of. Write this down. Inerrant. When we use this word, that the Bible is inerrant, simply means this. It is, it, there is freedom from error or untruth in it. In the Bible, we believe that there are no errors or untruths. And I know, I want to just put it out there right now. I know for some of us, we struggle with that. Because for us, the idea of something being perfect is really hard to wrap our mind around. But we believe from a historic perspective, according to God's word, that it is perfect. Freedom from error, untruth. Infallible means this. Incapable of erring. Now, this is the first section of the message where I start to feel some of the tension mount. Because I know some of us can do this automatically. We are smart enough and cognitive enough to be starting to connect the dots. And to be able to go, well, if we believe that it's inerrant and infallible, what does it mean for this What does it mean about this? What does it mean about this? And do I believe that? The reason that we are doing the Bible in week two of this series is because I need you to understand that as we get to other things over the course of this series, it has all got to be rooted and connected back to what we believe about God's word. So this is important for us to understand because it's through his word known as the Bible that God communicates three things. Write these three things down. The first thing that God communicates to us is his governing power. God's word tells us that he governs all things sovereignly. We'll look more into that during the series. The second thing that God's word tells us is that he has purposeful authority in our lives. He's the authority in our lives and it's purposeful. It means he's, he's doing things on purpose. And the third thing that it communicates, and I'm going to stand on this one for just a second, is his personal presence in our lives. 
His personal presence in our lives. Now, I've heard this from a lot of people, and so I'm gonna, I wanna, I wanna talk a little bit about it. Because a lot of us believe that presence moments with God only take place in two moments. In worship, and for a lot of us here in Utah, on the top of a mountain. <laughs> That's what I hear from everybody. They're like, man, I love worship so much. I just feel the presence of God. And I love skiing so much. I just feel the presence of God on the top of the mountain. And I get it. And you can feel the presence of God in your car, in your cubicle, in your classroom. Come on, somebody. Walking down the aisle at Smith's. But the one place that we have a tendency to negate God's presence in our life is actually in his word. God communicates his presence to us in and through his word. My 12-year-old daughter was in the second service, and she's now started what seems to be an ongoing thing in our relationship with each other. And I love it if it keeps on going. And I pray that she does it uh, until, well, her 30s um, or beyond that. Um, but she walked up to me in the, in the lobby. She gives me a hug. She says, I love you, Daddy. And then she goes into service. And she's done that every week, especially for the past couple months now. And I love it. I love the embrace. I love the physicality. And we hug our children at home. And we have these physical moments where how many of you agree with me? In physicality, presence is communicated. But there are other times around our dinner table or standing in our kitchen or while they're sitting in the back seat and I'm sitting in the front seat that I'm communicating my presence to them through my words. Y'all see what I'm talking about? A lot of us want the emotive thing. We want the physical thing. We want the feelings thing. But we fail to realize that one of the greatest places that God communicates his presence to us is in and through his word. Every time you open this, his voice is speaking to you. We communicate this way. Why? Because words are important. In our house, we always say, I love you. I'll walk out of the house or... Heading to church this morning. Love you. And if I don't hear anything, hey! What do I say? Love you, Dad. Hey! <laughs> Love you, Dad. <laughs> we communicate to each other. We're communicating our presence because I want them to know, even though I'm not hugging them in that moment, that I'm, I'm there for them. That I love them. Y'all see what I'm talking about? And so, so presence is more than just a physical thing. This one's really important because a lot of, I've heard people say this and I get it. I understand it. A lot of us say, man, it's really hard to read the Bible because it's dry. Oh, well just flip the perspective a little bit. Come back to this word and realize that you're reading something from somebody who loves you infinitely. He's communicating something to you. Here's the problem. When we, uh, when this is undermined, when we see the Bible simply as another book in the vast sea of other literary achievements, it becomes stripped of its power in our life. It is possible to read this book and, in not seeing it as supernaturally authored, divinely inspired, totally authoritative, inerrant, and infallible, it is totally possible that we walk away from it unchanged. And it's a travesty when we do. It would be Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. who would write this, say this, those who remain unchanged by the transformative power of God's word are like stagnant water resisting the refreshing flow of divine wisdom. Wow. How could I not gaze upon your word and be changed? 
How could I not hear from the author of the universe and not be changed? How could I not hear the voice of the one who holds the stars in the sky by his word and not be changed? Oh, how beautiful your word is to me, God. It is refreshing. It is life. It is the very thing that I need for sustenance and power. James would say it like this in chapter one of his writing in verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, every shout everybody. Understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Everybody look at me. Don't look at your neighbor. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word. And not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, and like a good pastor, James brings an illustration into it, he's like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. Did any of you do that this morning, look in the mirror? Do you like stroll up to the mirror and be like, oh, yeah, looks good, looks good, all right, I'm out. And 37 seconds later go, wait a second, what did I look like? Looks good. Looks good. Okay. No boogies. Let's go. Wait a second. What did I look like? Look at myself. Everything's looking good. This is in shape. Okay. Let's go. Wait a second. Y'all see? James is saying, this is what you look like if you go to the word of God, but then not do the word of God. He's saying it's that important in your life that you don't just become a hearer of God's word, but you become a doer of God's word. Come on, is there anybody in church today? Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. But we ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God has chosen you for salvation, through sanctification by the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you through our gospel so that you might obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm. Hold to the traditions you were taught, whether by what we said or what we wrote. Paul's encouragement is to stand firm in the truth. Everybody shout truth. Truth. That has been passed down, and this is the word of God, Scripture. So why? Why do we tend to reject the authority and truth of Scripture? I think this is an important question for us to ask and examine. Here's the first thing that I think is really important for us to understand. This is why we reject these things at times. is because we deny the authority of Scripture because we value the autonomy of our own thought more. We value the autonomy of the way my mind works more than how God's mind works. In other words, we see how we think and feel and experience to be greater in power in understanding the world and life than we do through God's word. We've become untrusting towards anything that is outside of us, especially in this generation. And so now if I don't think it, if I don't feel it, if I don't sense it, if I don't see it, if it's not proven to me, it's now suspect And therefore, because I value the autonomy of my own thought processes more, I will reject God's word. Y'all tracking with me? And, And I get it. 
I understand the process that we have to go through in order to come to this place where, I, where we believe God's word. Now remember, this is why in the beginning I gave you the qualifier. This is why I told you my bias. My bias is I believe in everything of God's word. So I, I live my life to follow it, be defined by it, to be transformed by it. And I get it because in my humanity, if we're all honest, we like to think we're so much smarter than God. Y'all, come on. Can we just like therapy session for just a second? We have a tendency to believe that we are smarter than the king of the universe. We put it together. There's a segment in in scripture. I love it. When when God's speaking to somebody, he goes, did you make this? Because last time I checked, like, you weren't there. The second reason we deny the authority of scripture is that we've stripped it of its supernatural inspiration. In other words, we've removed any supernatural reality from it. We struggle with the supernatural. Yet. The movies that we watch, the books that we read, the most popular shows on the planet right now are all supernatural in nature. Just recently, the generation Alpha and generation Z has, has been pegged as a generation that it's actually salivating for the supernatural right now. They're looking for it. That's why we're teaching these things. There's going to be, there's a generation coming up right now that actually is like, hey, I'm down with the supernatural. They're, they're open to it and they're, and they're understanding of it. But some of us have tried to box scripture in. And I just have to remind us as a church, we are supernatural people. This is a supernatural thing that God is building. How many of you agree with me? Jesus getting out of the grave is a supernatural thing. And it's fascinating to me that in our modern culture, people will dress up like dragons and dwarves. They will read every book, trilogy, watch every movie with things flying around, expecto patronum and all this stuff in between. Yet I don't know about a whale swallowing a man. And I only say that not to be argumentative. I want, to, I want us to see sometimes the fallacy of our arguments. Right. Where we talk out both sides of our mouth. Where we get geeked on all of these things. And we think that demons are around every corner. But then I question what God says. In liberal theological circles, pause. When I say this. <laughs> When I say liberal theological circles, I'm not talking about politics. It's a designation that has a very specific teaching that's oriented to it called liberal theology. And this would be the idea of untethering the supernatural from Scripture is a significant thrust as to how the Bible is interacted with and interpreted by liberal theologians. One liberal Protestant thinker by the name of George Berman Foster, 1858 to 1918, I want you to hear that this is not a new idea, who taught theology and philosophy of religion at the University of Chicago Divinity School, insisted, and this was his quote, his insistence was that one cannot be modern and still accept the dualistic supernatural worldview of the Bible. In other words, what he is saying is that you cannot continue to age with society and believe the nonsense of the Bible. C.S. Lewis would call it chronological snobbery. 
The idea that as we progress as people, somehow we evolve our way out of the supernatural. Yet as Christians, we still believe in the back of the book, it tells us that he's going to come back riding on the clouds in a very supernatural way. The reason I want us to understand this is because if we start demonizing the supernatural, we have to start denying the resurrection. Can I be your pastor today? (laughs) And if we go down this path, it becomes a very slippery slope. Then we become in danger of coming to the same conclusion the late Episcopal Bishop John Shelby Spong would declare concerning the Bible. And I quote, this is what he says, The Bible is not the word of God in any literal or verbal sense. It has never been, exclamation mark, end of quote. He would write this in his work, Why Christianity Must Change or Die. A bishop speaks to believers in exile. Why am I talking this way? Why are we doing this series? Because I just want to tell you right now as your pastor, I don't want to end up there, and I don't want our church to end up there. We must hold on to the word of God. Not because of culture. Not because of politics. Not because of some weird dogma. We must hold on to scripture. Because it is the word of God. It is of great importance for us as a church. So I love how John M. Frame, once again in his book, Systematic Theology, writes it out for us. He says, authority then is this. An authoritative word is one that imposes obligations on those who hear. And the word of God imposes an absolute obligation upon our life. The Bible has a way for us to live, a way for us to think, a way for us to feel, a way for us to perceive, a way for us to interact. It has a way for everything in our life. And Jesus would tell us this in John chapter 14, verses 15 to 26. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Just pause there for a second. If you love me, you will keep my... Everybody shout it out. Jesus is saying, by way of his authority, I am imposing something upon you. The best design, the best word over your life and in my life. So with all that being said today, there's the kind of academic level for just a moment. I want to take us now as we get ready to land this plane through the practical realities. How does this play itself out in our lives? Need your help today? Come on, every shot number one. First thing we need to understand about God's word is this, is that the word is living and active. Come on, I said that the word is living and active. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 to 14 says this, For the word of God is living and effective 
It's sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It's able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from him, but all things were naked and exposed to eyes of him to whom we must give an account. His word, church, is living and it's active and it pierces and it separates and it removes and it shifts and it alters and it makes us new when you and I allow it into our space. I love how the writer of the Bible knowledge commentary brings clarity to these few verses. He says this, that the inner life of a Christian is often a strange mixture. How many of you know this to be true of motivations, both genuinely spiritual and completely human. Come on. Has anybody had that going on inside of them? Like Paul would say, he said, I do not do what I do want to do. And I do do what I do not want to do. The do do everywhere. You ever been there? You ever been in that moment where you're like, man, I want to do everything that God has for me. And you feel so spiritual and you're, you're ready to rock and roll. And then at the same time, your humanity is going, I want to punch somebody in the throat. You ever felt a little schizophrenic at time? You're like, man, I want to follow everything that Jesus has for me. And at the same time, I want to take control and I want to do it myself because your timing isn't my timing. And I kind of like my timing more than your timing. And I want to trust my word over your word. That's my, that's my human, it's human Jason versus spiritual Jason. We had a situation come up this week. I told Eric, I got a phone call. The phone call began to frustrate me. And I told her I got off the phone. I was like, hey, listen, this was my decision. I'm going to let the spirit of God work greater in me than my human. The human in me right now wants to say some things, wants to fight, wants to figure out how to do it. This is what I said. I, I hung up the phone. I was like, I can't do anything about this. It's not under my control. It's in God's control. I'm going to walk away from it, and I'm going to enjoy my Sabbath with family. And I had to choose. And it's God's word that informs me of that, not Jason Parrish. Because Jason Parrish is like, let's go light it all on fire. <laughs> Come on, am I talking to anybody in church today? Right? So he goes on to say, the writer of the Bible Knowledge Commentary goes on to say, it takes supernaturally discerning, it takes a supernaturally discerning agent such as the word of God to sort these out and to expose what is of the flesh. We've talked about this already, but Tim Keller would highlight it once again, and he would say, an encounter with God's word should be like a gust of wind sweeping through our hearts, rearranging and refreshing everything in its path. Number two, everybody shout number two. The word is spirit and life. I love this. John chapter six, verses 60 through 63. Therefore, when many of his disciples heard this, pause, previous to the, this that the Bible's talking about right there, Jesus gave this fancy little message entitled, eat my flesh, drink my blood. <laughs> and his disciples were pumped about it. Not really. This is what they said. This teaching is hard. Who can accept it? Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, he asked them, does this offend you? And then he says this, what if you were to observe the son of man ascending to where he was before? Jesus is saying to his disciples, if this word offends you, how are you going to handle me doing the things that I'm about to do? 
If my word offends you, it's going to offend you to know where I was at before this place. The spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. The words that I've spoken to you, here it is. Jesus is saying it. The words that I've spoken to you, everybody shout it, are spirit Spirit. and life. Life. All right. We'll finally get to the balloons. Everybody was wondering. (laughs) Did he just bring balloons in today? So for a lot of us, we believe that because we come to church and we occasionally read our Bible... That I am tethered to God's word. Stay. The Bible's going to float away after this. But here's what's happening in the world that we live in. More so than ever before. We actually don't live integrated lives. We live decompartmentalized lives. We're actually not holistically integrated. This is why we need the Bible, because the Bible helps us integrate every aspect of our life. Because for what we do, for a lot of us, is we go, oh, I read my Bible and I come to church occasionally, but my money? Is that connected to his word? I don't know what's going on here. got to ask ourselves the question, is my family connected to God's word? Am I making decisions? Am I parenting my children from an understanding of God's word? Or is it what everybody else is saying? Or every mommy, every mommy blog? Y'all still in church today? Is my E-L-L-E. L-E. Just making sure you can spell. Is my singleness connected to God's word? Or am I reading God's word, but God's word don't exist on Friday night? I'm just helping us understand the Bible, guys, okay? Is my job? I really want to push this today. Connected or or do I read my Bible and say yes to God's word when I show up to church on Sunday, but I still cut corners and undercut that employee that I'm in competition with so I can get what I want? Is my attitude? A T N T. Is my attitude? Or do I grumble and complain about everything as fast as I can? Wow. Am I talking to anybody in church today? Yeah, yeah. So, this is what it actually looks like to be tethered to God's word and. We have to understand that it doesn't happen naturally. It happens by decision. Y'all with me? I have to intentionally decide. If you're single in here today, you have to intentionally decide.
to attach your singleness to God's word. And he's got some stuff to say about it. If you're married in here today, you've got to intentionally tether your marriage to God's word. Because he's got some stuff to say about it. We actually believe in this theology of vocation. If you are working in here today, God has something to say about the way that you work. Believe it or not, my job has got to be tethered. Even me as a pastor, I have to make sure that my job is tethered to God's word. I got I to gotta make sure, bing, my money. Oh, I got quiet in church. Is tethered to God's word. Why? Because he has something to say about it. But here's what's happening. Is that because some of us struggle with God's word that we don't believe that it's spirit and life. What we end up doing is we're like, well, it's just an attitude. It's just my job. God doesn't really care about what my employees think about me. It's just my singleness. Because after all, once I get married, it will all be okay. It's the last service of the day. It's just my money. Because after all, I know how to better handle it than God does. So what happens is we start looking up after all these things have become untethered. And looking down and looking up and looking down. And then here's what happens. This is the decision that someone has to make in here today. I'm either going to reach back for those things and I'm going to intentionally connect them back to God's word. Or what we are seeing in this generation right now, I have to chase after it. And we wonder why we are experiencing life the way that we are. I would submit to us where we become untethered from God's word. We lose all ability to have the life that God has designed for us. Because this is what Jesus would say. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these other things will be added unto you. In Jesus' mighty name. Here's what I want us to hear as I invite the team up. Write this down today because someone needs to hear this today. When you stand on the word, you will not fall in the wind. When you stand on the word, you will not fall in the wind. Jesus talks about two people who built their house on two different places. One built it on rock, the other built it on sand. Same storm came. One stood and one fell. If you build your life on this rock, his word, he would say, your life, while not void of storms, come on somebody, it will stand in the midst of them in Jesus' name. Number three, the last one is this. And I love this one. The word is power and salvation. The word is power and salvation. Paul, speaking to the Corinthians, says, When I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mysteries of God, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. 
I actually decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and in fear, much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Why? So that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. Paul was saying, your life can't be based on just the human wisdom that we so often base our lives on. Because at the end of the day, power and salvation is found in God's word. I want to submit to us today, no matter where you are at, this word leads us to one place and one place alone, and that is the foot of Jesus's cross, to which he was crucified buried, risen again, and ascended to heaven for you and for me, conquering sin, conquering death, conquering hell. And he now stands in a place where he intercedes for you and for me. Oh, come on, church. It is his word that declares that. And I want you to hear this. I was thinking about this in the first song we were singing today. What beautiful words. Why we praise our God. And here's what I want to submit to us today. If we can't believe God's word, then we negate the very thing that he did for us right. on the cross. Right. Because it's his word yeah. <laughs> that tells us, for God so loved the world, yeah. for God so loved Santi, that he gave his one and only son. Yeah. It's his word that tells us that. Yeah. And it is his word, church, that will not return void. In Jesus' mighty name. Come on. And the church shouted. Amen. Come on. Would you bow your head and close your eyes in this place today? I don't know where you're at in life right now, faith right now. I don't know what's going on. But here's what I do know. You're not here on accident today. So what we're going to do is we're going to pray together today. A prayer that we pray every single week around here. We call it the prayer of salvation, but honestly, there's nothing fancy in these words. You're not necessarily going to find this prayer somewhere else. It's just our way to be able to articulate for you and with you our desire to submit and surrender our lives to Jesus. And I know that there may be some of us in here today that have yet to do that. And if that's you today, if you'd say, man, Chase... Not only do I need God's word, but I need him in my life. You need to surrender to him. Make this your prayer today. Acknowledge before God and men that you need him. He sweeps in and he saves us. And he helps us live life now and prepares us for life eternally. So with every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, I want to invite all of us to pray this prayer together so we don't leave anybody out. Come on, as loud as you can, everybody say, Jesus. I'm giving you everything. I'm giving you my past. I'm giving you my right now. I'm putting my future in your hands. Save me. Change me. Make me new. And I declare in this moment that I'm going to follow you all the days of my life. I'm sorry for doing it my way. And today, I am deciding to follow your way. In Jesus' mighty name.